2: Hello everybody and welcome to episode 172 of the Box Hard Podcast, I'm your host Joey Coastman, I'm joined as always by the ever-elusive, the ever-infamous Mr. Ayaz Sumra, Ayaz battling a bit of an illness at the moment, how are you doing? I'm good Joey. yourself? Very good, my friend, very good. Right, let's get straight down to it. Let's start with the review part of the show. We're going to start at the Gymnase La Salamandra in a place I'm not even going to try to pronounce in France. We saw even Mendy, 40 and 5, with one draw, take on Achiko Odikadze who was 20-10 and 10 with one draw. That was a sixth-round TKO there for Eva Mendy. 41 wins he has now. Uh, a bit of a meaningless fight, if I'm being honest. Moving out now to Germany, though, at another venue I'm not even going to try to pronounce. We saw Vincent Feigenbutz. Um, he moved to 30 wins. He's got two losses. It was the vacant GBU World Super Middleweight title at stake. It was vacant, like I say. He took on the Polish Prism Slaw Opalach 27-2, and two, um, a win there in the fifth round, a TKO there for Feigenbutz. That's it for Germany. Moving out now to the United States at the Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut, USA. Uh, over here we saw Cleta Selden pick up win number 23, a knockout in the first round against Adam Matei, who's now 28-14. Um, a good win there for Selden, but once again, he he doesn't really learn much from it. A first-round knockout, he seems to get a few of those early knockouts. And when the fight goes into, well, goes after a few rounds, when it goes after a few rounds, he seems to, to struggle and run out of ideas. We saw that against Ulysses Jr. Uh, moving out now to the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York, USA. Uh, starting with the undercard, I mean, a big, big upset here. Marcellus Wilder, he was looking to move to four professional wins, but it wasn't to be. In the fourth round and the final round, he was TKO'd by William Dietz, who has a record now of 7-12. and 12. So a, a bit of a journeyman, really. I mean, he was 6-12 and 12 going in, and he's upset Marcellus Wilder, of course, the younger brother of Deontay. Marcellus Wilder was actually scheduled to be on that card um, over here, the the Eubank Jr. and James DeGale undercard. He was also on that, you know, with the likes of Joe Joyce and the rest of it. So it doesn't look like he'll be on that date. Um, just goes to show what happens if you take your eye off the prize even for one minute in this in this boxing game. Gary Antoine Russell fought on the bill, the younger brother of Gary Russell Jr. He moved to eight and zero, a TKO in the second round against Roberto Almazan, who is now seven and nine. He was down in the first and second round. Almazan also on the bill. we saw. Adam Kalnacki was supposed to be a good fight, but a brilliant win. It ended up being for Kalnacki. He's now 19-0. A TKO in the second round against Gerald Washington. 19-2 and with one draw. Um, now 19-3 and with one draw. Washington was down in that second round before being stopped. It was shocking, actually. Um, The first round, it was an awful start for Gerald Washington. He got stunned multiple times. He was badly hurt at the end of the round. He seemed to have no answer for Kalnaki's looping shots. He was being tagged way too often. And Washington's defense was awful. I mean, he had to show way more of his chin than he should have had to show in that first round there. Um, There was no jab from him. His measure of distance was terrible. And it was great work from Kalnaki. You can't take nothing away from him. He did what he had to do. But he did pick up a cut. As well late on in the first round. It was hard to see what caused the cut. Then in the second round, Washington actually came out with a nice combination to start the round, but he seemed to punch himself out in a desperate attempt to hurt Kalnaki. He was unable to hurt Kalnaki and he ended up walking onto one himself. And from there, Kalnaki was able to drop Gerald Washington. Washington did bravely get back up, and arguably he shouldn't have been allowed to carry on, but he did get allowed to carry on and he was stopped within about five seconds. To be fair, the referee did a good job. When I think about it. Um, but yeah, he was stopped on his feet. And he did start boxing late in his career. We know that. And unfortunately, I think Gerald Washington has found his level. And, you know, he's always played sports at a high level. And perhaps his body's just a bit too old to compete with these top contender type guys. I mean, he's he's in his late 30s, Gerald Washington, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, I went with him to win on points. That was my prediction last week. Ayaz also went with that prediction. And you, the listeners, got it right. You picked a knockout for Kaunaki. so a point there for you guys. Uh, moving up the bill once again, we saw Keith Furman, 28-0, return to the ring after a 22-month hiatus. He took on Josecito Lopez, 36-7, for Keith Furman's WBA Super World welterweight title. Lopez himself was down in the second round. That was a bit of a shock. But going through the fight itself. Well, it was a fight of of, of a lot of drama, if we're being completely honest. It wasn't necessarily the Keith Furman that we expected to see. It was a lot more... well, a lot more dangerous than we expected it would be, but the actual fight itself, going through it round by round, the first round was a great opening round for Furman, he didn't appear to be ring rusty at all, he seemed to still have his sharp reflexes, the speed was evident, he wasn't missing his swagger, that was the thing about Keith Furman before he went on this hiatus, he had that swagger about him, everything flowed nicely, Um, he looked good, and it was the same thing again from him in that first round there, he looked like he hadn't been out the ring for such a long time, in the second round, the movement from Furman was great. The elusiveness was something that started to frustrate Lopez. And then in the last 30 seconds of the round, the pair exchanged left hooks and down went Lopez. Like I say, he walked into the shot. Um, when he got back up, Furman did try and finish him. But there wasn't really enough time left in the round. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a good start, like I say, for Furman in the third round. Once again, it just looked like the old classic Keith Furman. It looked like he's back. Um, You know, he's still young. He's not an old guy. People sometimes forget that. But coming off that much of a layoff. Um, You wouldn't have known he was coming off that layoff. Looking at his performance at that point, he looked like his usual self. In the fourth round, once again, another good round for Furman. His movement was beautiful. He glided around the ring. He did get caught with a massive left hook, but it didn't seem to bother him at all. Um, It was a bit of a wake-up call because prior to that, like I say, he was in so much control that he probably didn't even feel like he was in a fight. In the fifth round, I gave it to Furman once again. In the sixth round, that was the first round where I actually gave it to Lopez. He brought it to Furman there. He had a few big moments, but nothing too serious. Um, Yeah, I felt like he, he deserved that round just by a little bit there, just by a margin. In the seventh round, it was a shocking round. That was where Furman got nailed repeatedly, and his legs were gone at one point, well, I say one point, for much of the round. He looked on the verge of being stopped many times. And it was unclear what happened. His head was getting knocked back by left and right hands. Jose Cito went for broke when he saw Keith Furman hurt. And Furman had to get on his bike. I mean, he looked terrible. It was scary. Lopez was hitting Furman with fudding shots. The commentator even gave it a 10-8 round. To Josecito Lopez Furman did actually land one or two big shots Himself in the dying seconds of the round But it was a big round for Lopez There's no denying that In the 8th round Furman got back to his boxing The commentators said that perhaps Furman might be a one handed fighter Because he didn't let his right hand go too often But obviously Furman was out the ring For 22 months due to an injury with his left shoulder So a problem with his right hand Would be really bad But I personally thought it was more of just smart boxing He didn't really want to engage After being hurt in the earlier round, so he was sticking his jab out and he was moving, perhaps just further recuperating from any Um, Any damage that he may have taken in that earlier round, just clearing his head a bit. I did give Furman the round, but um, the commentary team gave it to Lopez. I wasn't sure about that. The dominance wasn't there, though, for Furman like it had been in the earlier rounds. Lopez seemed to have a few decent rounds in a row. Um, In the ninth round, it was a better round for Furman. In that round, he did let his right hand go, but it was hard to see if he threw it with mean intentions or not because Lopez was taking his right hand without many issues. Um, In the 10th round, once again, I gave it to Furman. I guess when you look at it, Um, Even though he still looked his sharp self, it's not surprising that he faded a little bit towards the end. It doesn't matter how many rounds of sparring you do, of course. There's nothing quite like a real fight for 12 rounds in front of a packed crowd. And he did seem to tire. Uh, The 11th round was a close round. It really could have gone either way. The ring generalship was with Furman, but the sheer effort came from Lopez. And then in the 12th and final round, Furman came out and finished strong. And don't get me wrong, it wasn't easy. He did take some big shots once again in that round. But looking back at at it Lopez has got such a relentless style. I mean, he didn't take a backward step all night, and obviously, it's a very risky style to come back off that big layoff and fight someone like that. So, it was a tough comeback opponent. Credit to Keith. Um, You can't really judge how good he is at his best on that performance. Yes, probably Spence or Crawford would have gotten Lopez out of there, but let's cut firm and some slack here. Obviously, I'm a big fan of his, but it was a big layoff. There are big fights for him down the line, and probably he's going to need one more fight before a potential Porter rematch because, you know, Porter is relentless as hell too, and, you know, there 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 could be some... Some real risks going into that fight, but other than that, we need to remember that this man's got the best wins at one four seven. No one else out there has fought Porter and Garcia back to back. He took Garcia though. He beat Porter, and for me, he needs to be given major, major credit. Like I say, a real tough comeback opponent there for him, and he got through it by any means necessary, really. And it was exciting along the way. It was dangerous, but he passed the test. And for me, it was by flying colours. There were a few. Weird scorecards. For me, I had it wide to Furman, but there was one or two. I think it I think um one of the judges I think even had it was it? I think it was a. yeah, it was a majority decision. So one judge had it a draw. I couldn't see that. But um yeah, a majority decision over twelve rounds in favour of Keith Furman now twenty-nine and oh he called out Manny Pacquiao. That's a fight I'd like to see. Um, Moving out now to the Toyota Center in Houston, Texas. This is the final bill to mention. It happened in the USA. Unfortunately, I didn't watch the bill, so forgive me on that because I've heard that the main event was absolutely brilliant. But let's start with the undercard here. Virgil Ortiz Jr. moved to 12-0. He made his opponent retire on his store after five rounds. His opponent, Jesus Barayan, now 23-5 with one draw. Um, Also on the bill jesus rojas 26 and 2 with two draws put his wba world featherweight title on the line against china's kanzu who's now 16 and 2 and he became the new champion there so a unanimous decision over 12 rounds for kanzu once again i haven't seen the fight ayaz was supposed to be watching it but i'm not quite sure what happened with his tv or his stream um any comment on that ayaz no comment on that okay well anyway um yeah it was supposed to be Ayaz's job to cover that one, and he's let us down there. But also, the main event here, Jaime Mungia, he moved to 32-0. and And he successfully defended his WBO world super welterweight title against Takeshi Inoue, who's now 13-1 and with one draw. He was undefeated going in. To be honest, no one really gave him much credit. No one gave him much of a chance, to be honest. And he was a lot tougher than what... We all expected. He is a warrior. He's a tough, tough guy. Not many people seem to go the distance with mungia And he gave mungia a lot of trouble, from what I've heard. And the the judges' scorecards were apparently way too wide. It was quite disgraceful, from what I've read. But, um yeah, of course, Inoue can come again. Imagine him against the likes of Liam Smith, perhaps. I haven't actually seen the fight, like I say, but I'd imagine that would be a war. Um... But yeah, that's really about it. I just want to go over the, the predictions once again. I went with Mungia by Knockout, that didn't happen. So did the listeners and so did Iaz. We all went with Mungia by Knockout, of course, and he won on points, so no point gathered there. Um Keith Furman by knockout, I went with Iaz went with Furman on points, and the listeners went with Furman by knockout. So um yeah. Just Iaz gaining a point there, and of course, we mentioned earlier, Washington on points, myself and Iaz went with, but you, the listeners, went with Kalnaki by knockout, so no points for me last week, just one point for Iaz and one point for the listeners, so excellent stuff there. You've been on good form recently, Ayaz, last week, of course, winning the Prediction League pretty much for that weekend, and then this week, you've tied 1-1 with the listeners, so you're raking it back in, and me, I'm flying in the lead on points, but I can't afford to take my foot off the gas because it is the first to 100 And I think I'm about four points clear now I'll total it up at the very end of the show But that is it for the review part Just before we wrap up part one The last thing to do is to welcome our very first guest Ladies and gentlemen Please welcome the former IBF super middleweight world champion It is of course Mr. Caleb Truax Caleb, welcome back on the show
0: Good to be back. Good to be back.
2: Great to have you back. So Caleb, um, of course, you're you're the former IBF world champion. On last week's show, we had Caleb, the new IBF world champion. You guys are friends, though, right?
0: <laughs> uh, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't call us friends. We've had some some words over social media before, but uh, we've met in person and and uh, seemed to have ironed that out a little bit. You know, I shook his hand. He shook my hand, and and uh, went our separate ways
2: okay cuz i just remember him being there and uh shouting a few things out for the de rematch for you i think he was kind of there supporting you if i'm not mistaken i know he had a few words with james um so i was
0: no he he was he was he was trying to he was trying to get at me and uh, and james stepped in and went crazy on him so uh it was uh it, it definitely wasn't in support of me. Oh,
2: wow. Okay. I, I completely got that wrong. I was going to ask if we would ever possibly see Caleb versus Caleb. It seems like we can't rule that one out. It could be a potential fight.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I'm looking for, forward to my fight uh, April 13th from Peter Quillen and not looking past that, but uh, this, I believe it'll be uh, either an IVF or a WBC eliminator. It hasn't been made official yet, but it's going to be an eliminator for one of those two belts and uh, if it's IBF, you know, it's a good chance I could uh, fight Caleb Plant. Uh, if if it's a WBC eliminator, whoever wins the um, Durrell versus, uh, I can't pronounce his name, the guy from Turkey, uh, Yildirim. Yeah, they're, they're fighting actually here in Minneapolis, in my hometown, uh, in a few weeks at the Minneapolis Army, the same place where my, my fight will be located. Uh, So uh, I'll be at that fight, Okay, watching very closely.
2: Okay, beautiful, beautiful. So we last spoke back in August, right before your last fight. Um, You obviously went on to TKO Fabiano Suarez in three rounds. What was that like? I mean, like motivational-wise, after fighting DeGaulle twice back-to-back, was it hard getting up for a lower-level guy like this guy?
0: You know I'm... uh... I'm usually a guy that gets up for everything, but after after fighting for two world world titles, you know, back to back against the Gale, it, it was it was a little bit difficult to to get up uh, and and be at my best for that fight. I did, you know, obviously I trained hard, and and my team did a really good job of staying on top of me and just letting me know every single day that, hey man, you can't take anybody lightly. Uh, if 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 you lose to this guy, then your career is derailed. So I took it very seriously, and I'm thankful that I had my team there to really. Uh, reinforce the fact that I can't take it lightly. I have to be up like I am for a world title fight. You know.
2: Well said. Yeah, a good a good win. Like I say, in just three rounds. And moving on to what's next for you. You mentioned there, April thirteenth in Minnesota, you'll be squaring off against former WBO world champion Peter Quillin. Now, this is a really big fight, Caleb. Is this a bigger fight, perhaps, in the states? Is it perceived as a bigger fight in the states than the Degau fights?
0: Um, you know, I, am not, I'm not too sure, uh, as far as locally it is because, uh, it's a huge fight locally. I mean, Minnesota isn't, hasn't had too many big televised shows that are, uh, huge opportunities like this for me to to put on a show in front of my fans. I fought here on ESPN a few times, but this is a, this is a bigger deal. You know, it's going to be an eliminator. Quillen's a former champion, just, just like myself. And it's going to be a huge, huge night for the state of, of uh, Minnesota, for for boxing in Minnesota, and for me. And it's, you know, they expect a uh, they expect a, a big crowd, probably six thousand people, uh, is what they expect. You know, last time uh, at the fight in August, we had about four thousand, which is uh, I know you guys over there get spoiled with uh, with huge Anthony Joshua crowds, but six thousand in Minnesota is a is a pretty big crowd. And it will be raucous, and and everybody's been be screaming my name, and Quillen's gonna have to uh, bring his A game because I'm gonna have all my people there, and I'm gonna want to show out in front of them.
2: And Quillin is a bit of a strange story because I remember picking him to actually beat Daniel Jacobs and he lost in dramatic fashion and then he disappeared for what seemed like forever. And of course, since then, he's come back. He's had two fights. He's won both of them, but both of them he's only won on points. Some people say he's not looked too impressive and he unexpectedly has given away rounds in both of those mentioned fights. What's your take on Peter Quillin at this stage of his career as a fighter, Caleb?
0: You know... I'm not. I'm not too sure, man. I, I like you said, he he was on fire for a while um, when he was in the middleweight division. And then he lost to Jacobs, and he and he took. I think it was almost two years off, or even over two years off, where he didn't. He was inactive, and he's fought Love uh, in August, I believe it was, and he fought one more fight, and those were his only two fights since like December of 2015. So obviously, uh, when when you get up in age like he is, I think he's the same as me, a little bit older. I think he's 35 or 36. Uh, I think it's really important to be active and and stay sharp when you're, when you're getting older and more so more, even more so when you're younger, just because uh, you don't want to get complacent. You don't want to get stale and you want to always be sharp when you're getting, getting older and maybe losing a little speed and stuff like that. So it'll be interesting to see what he, what he brings to the table. I know he was a, he was a big puncher at middleweight. I'm not sure if that will translate up to the super middleweight or not, but, It'll be interesting. I, I'm I'm taking it very seriously, and I've actually been in the ring with him before. We've we've sparred uh, years ago. Um, it was probably 2012 or 2013 when he was getting ready to fight for his world title against Hassan Endam. And after sparring him, it, I was I was confident that I could uh, that I could beat him if we ever fought. And and I've wanted to fight ever since, frankly. So uh, it's been a while, but uh, here we are.
2: Wow, well that seems real promising. It's it's great to hear that. I didn't know that. Um, I remember your speech after beating James DeGale in the ring. You 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 know you were very honest. It's what kind of made the UK fans really take to you. And you said that uh, James DeGale was probably a better boxer than you, but you were still able to win the fight. Do you class Quillen as a better boxer than you or not?
0: No, not not at all. I uh, I think Quillen's probably a bigger puncher than DeGale. Uh, actually, I, I know he's a bigger puncher than the because I felt both of them punch. But uh, he's definitely not the the boxer or the the slick athlete that uh, James and Gale is. Uh, he's kind of flat-footed. He, he he explodes on people and and has uh, big he you know, throws big power shots. But um, I think I'll be able to back him up like I did against the Gale. And and he doesn't fight very well on his back foot, just like the Gale didn't. But I don't think uh, his footwork is is going to be be able to uh, just negate the stuff that I do. So uh, it will be interesting. I think I match up really well with him, and and even better so than with the Gail.
2: And speaking of James DeGale, he will be taking on Chris Eubank Jr. in an all-British affair in just a few weeks' time. Who wins that one for you? Real interesting. I tell you the the the, the opinion over here just before you give yours. A lot of people over here think the gonna win, but there's something. I don't know. There's there's something in my head that thinks, as you said, he, he doesn't fight fantastic going backwards anymore. I just think the pressure from Eubank, you know, could really play a big part in the later rounds.
0: Yeah, I'm not too familiar with uh, Chris Eubank Jr. Okay. I've seen him fight uh, just two or three times, I believe, uh, in his, his fight against Groves. And I saw him fight that killed Duriam. And I think maybe uh, when he fought um, really Joe Sanders, I think. Um, but yeah, so I'm not too familiar, but I mean, he's athletic. He he looks to be um, fairly powerful and he's in good shape. I'd say that he he comes and he throws power shots the whole time. I don't think he has too much power, but um, he keeps up throwing them. And uh, we'll we'll just see how his, his boxing ability stacks up to to Gales because against, uh, against George Groves, he looked, uh, he looked completely outclassed. You know, he, he just didn't have any answers for any type of, of, uh, any type of boxing that Groves was putting on him. So, um, you can only go so far with that, that athleticism and explosive power. Uh, you want, you know, when you fight those top, top world level guys, you have to be able to box a little bit too. And, and, uh, I hear that he, he finally hired a trainer, uh, to, uh, to, uh, show him a thing or two instead of just going in there and throwing power shots. But, uh, we'll see how he, uh, we'll see how he reacts to, uh, to Gale's movement and, and just, uh, experience
2: be very interesting it really will be and finally caleb i just wanted to ask you about this uh I, well, I, didn't,
0: I didn't i didn't give you i didn't give you a prediction though i uh let me let me backtrack i i think if the gale is uh if he's if he hasn't suffered from the two fights with me and that fight with the badu jack where he still has some left in the tank i think he'll win and if he if, if it was noticeable that uh those three fights you know three tough fights in a row took a toll on him and, I think Eubank will probably be fresher and be able to back him up and and uh, uh, just probably pressure him and maybe even stop him. You know, who knows? But um, I think I see it going one of the two ways: either either Degale outboxes him and uses his experience and and skills, or Eubank uh, just um, pressures him and uh, takes advantage of, uh, of a Degale that's been in
2: some tough fours. Yeah, I agree with that 100%, word for word and finally Caleb, I just wanted to ask you about this this new cabin that you've bought now. I've seen some interesting videos. It looks really <laughs> exciting. You've got like a like a lake right behind this cabin and uh I know you you you're a real keen fisherman when you're not boxing. Um, tell us about it. Fantastic.
0: Yeah, it's uh it's always been a dream of mine to uh, have a lake cabin. You know, I I grew up fishing in Minnesota. It's a huge deal uh, to to uh, get to the lake and enjoy yourself in the summers. Right now it's uh right now it's like minus fifty degrees, so it's uh no uh no fishing unless you're ice fishing right now. But no, it it's uh, it was it was really really cool to be able to uh, kinda enjoy the, the fruits of uh, my labor in those the gale fights and, and have enough money to, to buy a cabin and it's actually my, my girlfriend's family cabin. So I was able to, to keep it in the family and, and you know, kinda pass on some of the memories that she had and her family had to, to my kids. And uh, just uh, enjoy it, you know, hopefully as a retirement home somewhere someday.
2: Excellent stuff. Just when I thought that you couldn't love Caleb Truax even more, he pulls that one out of the hat. Caleb, listen, I won't take up any more <laughs> of your time, my friend. Best of luck for April 13th. We'll be right behind you in that one, and we hope to catch up sometime after, my friend.
0: Absolutely, man. Give me an hour.
2: Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. I ask, what have you got?
3: The only news is that George Groves has announced his retirement from boxing.
2: Yes. You know, a great career he had, really, eyes when you think about it. Obviously, a man that didn't make it to the Olympics, a man that obviously held that win in the amateurs over his long-term rival, James DeGaulle. When he turned pro, when you look back at it, I think the pair probably fought a little bit early on. I mean, they were two undefeated prospects that, of course, went on to achieve world titles, each of them. And, um, you know, they fought early on in their careers, a real, real close fight that went George Groves' way And after that, for a long, long time, it kind of seemed like you know, George Groves got all this kind of attention for a long, long time, and then all of a sudden, James DeGale picked up a world title, and don't get me wrong, George Groves, you know, he picked up a world title himself, but he had those big, big nights before that against Froch, especially the first one where you know, it all ended in controversy and all the rest of it, you know, his his time under the likes of Adam Booth, his time where he was really, really close to David Hay, Um, you know, he's had some monster nights, and obviously, none will top that night, the rematch against Froch, where, of course, he made a, a shed load of money, but, you know, aside from that, it was a brilliant, brilliant fight, despite the way it ended, obviously, it ended in, in sadness for him, and then, yeah, he got that crack against Chudanov he had that good fight with Badu Jack, remember, um, you know, he's, he's been in many, many big fights, and obviously, to lose to Callum Smith out there is... In Saudi Arabia, in the World Boxing Super Series final, was a bit of a sad way to end his career. But what I do like about the whole thing is that he's waited quite a while to announce this retirement. Um, it wasn't a thing where he just lost and was quite upset about it and just decided to retire. He's he's had a, a you know a long long time to think about this and he's 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 made the decision. And let's be honest, he could have fought James DeGaulle. I'm a little bit sad that the rematch never did happen and it never will happen. But um, he really could have fought the winner, or perhaps the loser, of the Gao and Eubank. He could have hung around for that, but he didn't. So, a little bit of me, is a bit sad about that. But, you know, he gets out, he makes the choice on his own terms, and fair play to him. Um, i don 't think he could have picked up another world title if I 'm being honest, so um why hang around just for the money? You know some people box purely for money, but I think George made enough of it for that no longer to really be his main concentration. I think his main motivation ended up being the legacy stuff, and like I say, he was involved in a lot of legacy fights um but yeah, a, a great career, and you know it's, it's sad to see one of our biggest names in British boxing Hang the gloves up once again. But a brilliant career he had, I I'm sure you, uh, you know, you got right behind him many, many times.
3: I mean, he had. I mean, he, we, we all remember that night when he when he fought Carl uh, Froch, obviously at uh, Manchester, and then obviously when 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 he famously dropped Carl Froch. We all remember his uh, when he won. He accomplished his dream, of winning the world title. He re, we remember the fight with Barry Jack. He had he fought Vegas, lost to Vegas. People thought he was finished. He came back, linked up with Shane McGuigan, and won the world title. But I mean, George Griffiths had a great career, and I'll give him. I give him credit. I mean, I mean, he's done. He's had a mar- marvelous credit, career. But I, I, would, I, would, I would still have liked to see seen the game the rematch. But, I mean, it's, at the end of the day, it's for best for what Groves does.
2: Yeah, well said, Ayaz. And funny enough, I remember I've actually got a, a boxing glove that George Groves signed for me. Um, at one point. I think it was maybe in Westfield Shopping Centre, something like that. I think it was probably, it was either before, I think it was the uh, before the rematch, and anyway years later, I say years, probably a year or two after the fight, um, that was when I gave you that glove, I told you to go in the press room and get it signed by by Carl Froch, and obviously there's not many people out there that have got a dual signed glove by George Groves and Carl Froch, the two men that were the first to sell out an 80,000 um, capacity arena at Wembley. So amazing stuff there. And like I said, a great career. He's had to look back on. Let's start though here with the preview part of the show. We talked about the news for quite a bit there. We're going to start in Japan at the Korakuen Hall in Tokyo. One fight to mention. Former IBF um, super featherweight, is it super featherweight? Yeah, I think it's super featherweight world champion Kenichi Ogawa. That's the guy that actually beat Tevin Farmer. And it was really controversial, that decision. But then, of course, he fouled a drugs test. He got stripped. And, you know, we, we know what happened there. Ogawa, I think, went back to Japan. Perhaps had one fight in the meantime. I could be wrong. But anyway, it's been a long time since he's fought, um, I think, like I say, maybe the one fight, maybe he hasn't fought since Tevin Farmer, um, since that fight there with Tevin Farmer, I'll have to look into that, but I will say, Agawa, still a big name 22-1, and he takes on Roldan Adaya 12-6 and with one draw, a 10 rounder there, moving out now to the 0-2 arena in Greenwich, London, United Kingdom, as um we're going to start with the undercard. The debut of Charles Frankham, a real good amateur. We talked about him. It's his first, um, his first professional fight here. Like I say, obviously he's with Matchroom, a brilliant amateur. Like I say, travelled all over the place for sparring. He's really sparred some world world class guys, and his opponent's yet to be announced. That's a four rounder there. Also, we've got Scott Fitzgerald, eleven 0 he's in a six rounder against Philip Radzek, who has a record of two and eleven. Obviously, Scott Fitzgerald penciled in to take on. Anthony Fowler on that Liverpool show in March so this is a little bit of a run out for him before that fight um, also on this bill we have Jake Ball 12 and 1 taking on Craig Richards 13 and 1 this one's for the vacant WBA continental light heavyweight title it's been scheduled this fight 2, 3 or 4 times I always forget obviously both men friends of the show um, Craig Richards has been on talking about this fight in the build up so has Jake Ball when it was originally scheduled um, but yeah I did Really see the point of getting either guy on once again to pretty much talk about the same fight. So I'm sure we'll catch up with uh, the winner after that fight does eventually take place. But a brilliant, brilliant fight, I as a bit of a grudge match as well. And it's true grudge, it really, really is.
3: It's a true grudge fight, and
2: I think it's going to be a very entertaining
3: fight. But if I'm going to go with a win, I'm going to go with Jake Ball, because I, I think J- Jake Ball's, uh, put, I think, he's done incredibly well linking up with Dominic Ingle, and I think he's got a great base around him, he's got a great trainer with Dominic Ingle, and I think D- Dominic Ingle's put in brilliant shape, so I'm going to go with a win, I'm going to go with Jake Ball to win by points.
2: Yeah, do you know what, I mean, I think no one can argue that the attributes are with Jake Ball, Jake Ball being a six foot four southpaw, I mean, that, <laughs> you know that that just says it all really but of course you can't sleep on um, um Craig Richards 6 foot 1 orthodox fighter obviously hasn't really had tons of great wins at light heavyweight, yet that one big fight he had on about four or five days notice against Frank Buglioni wasn't great, and, you know, it speaks for itself why it wasn't great, he wasn't given a proper camp, he'd only moved up in weight that week, it was all wrong for him there, he was in there to lose, and that is what it is, Um, but yeah, he went the distance with Frank Buglione, and he showed his toughness that night, so Jake Ball, I mean, one of his main strengths, he's a big puncher, so, It is a funny kind of fight. I mean, it could really go either way. I wouldn't be surprised if Jake Ball was to get the stoppage. I wouldn't be surprised if Craig Richards got a late stoppage. I wouldn't be surprised if it went to points and either man got the nod. It really could go either way. And for that reason, I'm not going to give a prediction here. I'm going to actually very... um, unusually sit on the fence. I do like both guys and I wouldn't want to upset either of them, but a brilliant fight. I'm really really looking forward to it actually, which is unusual because most of the time when two good friends are fighting, I don't really like to see the fight, but I, I'm actually really looking forward to this one. I think it's going to be a good fight and like I say, I think the styles will clash and gel together um, and it will it will be a good watch. Um, one thing that Craig Richards has told me is that he's punching a lot harder up at light heavyweight. He's a lot more comfortable making the weight and he was killing himself to get down to 168 before. So, um, yeah, all the very best to Craig Richards, and like I say, all the very best to Jake Ball. Great, great fight. Um, also on the bill, we will see Felix Cash, 10-0, and take on Rashid Abolaji. Um, his record, 11-4 with one draw. It's for the vacant Commonwealth middleweight title. I'm expecting Felix Cash to... to to probably even get a stoppage there against that guy. And topping the bill, Sergio Garcia, 28-0, a Spanish fighter, obviously being managed and promoted, if I'm not mistaken, by Sergio Martinez, the former middleweight king. This one's for his EBU European Super Welterweight title. In the other corner, our very own Ted Cheeseman, 15-0. Very impressive Ted Cheeseman has been, um, you know, since turning pro. He's come through a few gut checks. He's had some big tests, the likes of Carson Jones, last time out against a senior byfield. he's come through those tests and he's looked a solid fighter he's very very strong ted cheeseman um this is a big big fight for him though it's arguably his toughest fight of his career i think it probably is his toughest fight of his career to be honest um obviously for a european title the winner will go on to big things but we can't overlook this guy here he's never lost and one thing craig richards told me when he was sat at the top table right next to sergio garcia he said to me do you know what i looked in his face and i could tell i just looked at him and he looked like a fighter and you know some people will say well what does that mean I understood exactly what he meant by that he looks like a fighter he's not just in boxing for what it is and he's taking each fight lightly he's not fighting good opposition he's not sparring hard he looked like a fighter I understood that completely when Craig Richards said that so a good fight and certainly not a given I as I'm interested to know what the odds are going to be but certainly not a given very tough fight for Ted Cheeseman here
3: yeah, I think, I think, I mean, Sergio Garcia is obviously a good fighter, and so is Ted Cheeseman. I mean, this is going to be a very, very tough, tough fight for uh, Ted Cheeseman, But if I'm going to go with a win, I'm going to go with Sergio Garcia to knock Ted Cheeseman out.
2: Really, Ayers? Wow. Okay. That is a statement. Um, We have gone to the Prediction League on that one. That goes to show how... how um. You know how how tough of a fight you see this um, the listeners have gone with Cheeseman by knockout, I'm not quite sure that's going to happen, I think I'm going to go with Cheeseman on points, I think the judges may even be doing him a little bit of a favour I hope there's no controversy, I hope the right man does get the victory, but for me it's going to be Cheeseman on points but interesting to see that yourself and the listeners have both gone with knockout um, knockout wins, and you've been on for my ads uh, moving out now to the Holt Suite in Villa Park, Birmingham, West Midlands United Kingdom one fight to mention over here not quite sure if it's still going ahead but it is listed Sam Egginton 23 and 5 his opponent yet to be announced um, obviously he's penciled in to take on Liam Smith in March on that Liverpool bill that we mentioned so not quite sure if he will be fighting but if he will then it better be against someone who is a real journeyman not a Hassan Mwakinyo type journeyman where it could all go wrong for him um, he is topping the bill, but when you look at that, by the way, I know people are saying it's a great fight, Egginton and, and Liam Smith, but I mean, both men are coming off losses and they're topping the bill and people are praising that bill. For me, I'm not overly looking forward to that fight. Um, uh, moving out now to the Ford Center at the Star in Frisco, Texas, USA. The final bill to mention, let's start with the undercard here. Tiafimo Lopez, the highly touted prospect, 11-0. and 0. He puts his NABF lightweight title on the line against Diego Magdaleno, a man that we saw in there with Terry Flanagan some years back thirty one and two i think I think Flanagan took him out in two rounds, which was really really, really impressive um, It just goes to show what they you know what they think of um Teofimo Lopez to stick him in with Diego Magdaleno, a former world title challenger, this early in his career it'll be interesting to see if he can do a job on Diego Magdaleno, also on the bill, the return of Oscar Valdez Ayaz, it's good to see him back, I don't think he's fought since the quick fight, which was a war despite him winning um, quite handily 24-0 Valdez it's for his WBO world featherweight title, he takes on the Italian Carmine Tomassone 19-0 Bit of a padded record, to be honest, which we see time and time again from the Italians. I'm expecting a Valdez knockout there. Also on the bill, Richard Comey, 27-2. and two. Been very, very unlucky recently, Comey. I think he's had a few tight decisions go against him. I think his two um, losses have both been split decisions, if I'm not mistaken. But he gets a chance here to finally pick up a world title. It's for the vacant IBF world lightweight crown. He takes on Russia's Issa Shanaev, who's 13-1. and one. Good fight though, by the way. Um, I'm expecting Come to probably get the knockout there, though. I think it's his time. It really is. I know he's a hungry, hungry fighter. Um, and topping the bill, the rematch. Alida Alvarez, Ayaz, 24-0. and He puts his WBO light heavyweight title on the line against... Former world champion himself, former holder of the belt. Uh, Sergei Kovalev, 32-3 and three with one draw. Obviously, in the original fight, there was a rematch clause, and everyone was speculating whether or not Kovalev would exercise that rematch clause, and he showed that he was not going to back down from this second chance for him. He wants the fight, and it's an intriguing fight once again. How do you see it playing out? Interesting one.
3: I mean, I think it's, for me personally, I think it's going to be similar to the first one. I think was basically since has uh, fought those two Andre Ward fights, I think it has taken out Alv- a lot out of him. And obviously Alvarez is a newer, fresher guy. So in my opinion, I think Alvarez is going to stop him, but I think he's going to stop him quicker.
2: Okay, because in the first fight, obviously, Sergei Kovalev was leading on points. I mean, he was winning the fight quite clearly until he kind of walked onto one. And, of course, he was down three times in that seventh round. And he seemed like he just didn't know how to recover. And it was it was sad to see him get stopped like that, to be completely honest. But, yeah, he was leading on all three cards at the time of the stoppage in that seventh round. And I think the question mark is, what is Kovalev going to be like in the later rounds? Because he seemed to slow down a little bit. But, yeah, good shot from um. Alvarez at the time. I'm not taking that away from him, but Alvarez himself's not even really known as a big puncher. He's got a 50% KO ratio, so it was a, quite a big upset at the time. Um, credit to Kovalev, like I say, for taking the rematch. Many people thought he was done, and if he can win this fight, then of course he's right back at the top of the division. Really, I mean, let's be honest. He was he was known as the killer. As soon as Andre Ward retired, he was the best guy. I mean, Bivol was coming through. Um, Baturbiev was still coming through um Adonis Stevenson of course didn't want no part of Kovalev and now he's not going to box again so he's completely out of the picture so yeah it will be interesting but again if he wins then it's all Russians if I'm not mistaken holding world titles it's Baturbiev with the IBF um Bivol with the WBA Kovalev would pick up the WBO and WBC now is Gvozdik Oh, sorry, not not a Russian. He's of course Ukrainian, but yeah, very much a Eastern European um, division light heavyweight. But yeah, um, a great fight. I'm gonna say. So you're going with Alvarez by knockout, eyes? Is that is that what you're going with?
3: Correct, in the earlier
2: rounds. Okay, and the listeners have gone with. Let's just confirm. They've gone with Alvarez by knockout also. I'm going to go with Kovalev by knockout. I mean, I think it is a bit of a big ask. Um, you mentioned there about Andre Ward kind of taking it out of Kovalev. I think you're right um, to some degree. I mean, he knocked out Shabransky in two rounds. After that, Andre Ward lost. Um, it was only five months later when he when he fought Shabransky, but Shabransky wasn't a fantastic opponent. Um, and then obviously he got in there with Igor McCorkin. and he seemed to struggle with McCorkin for a while. I mean, he won everything, and he knocked him out in the seventh. But he really had trouble. trouble pinning him down and hurting him his power didn't really seem to have that that you know, that that crack that we're, used to, uh, that we're used to seeing. And, of course, he couldn't really hurt Alvarez. So, it's going to be interesting. But I think Kovalev would have trained a lot harder. This is a must-win fight. If he loses, he retires. It's as simple as that. Um, I'm guessing. I'm guessing he's going to probably do that. So, it's a must-win for him. And it's really the first time he's been in a proper, proper must-win fight. I know that the Andre Ward fight was a bit of a must-win. But that was a tough, tall ask. And I think... Alida Alves is no Andre Ward, so it's very much a you know a much more winnable fight than the Ward fight. And like I say, in the first in the first fight, he was winning it, and everyone could see that. So I think he just needs to not get caught, he needs to not fade late on. So I hope he's been training hard, and I think he probably will get the stoppage this time round. Um, it's going to be interesting because I think when he knows that he needs a win, I think he fights a little bit better, and um, he's gutsy. I don't think you can say that he's You know, he's a bottle job or nothing like that. I think Kovalev knows when he's got to finish someone, he will go for it. So it'd be interesting to see him go for broke if he needs to, because he does need a win here. But that's about it for the preview part of the show. Like I say, we've brought you guest one. We brought you the review part. We brought you the preview part. I has brought you the news on George Groh's retiring. And just before we wrap up the show entirely, the last thing to do is to welcome our second and final guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the undefeated heavyweight contender himself. It is, of course, Mr. Adam Kalnaki. Adam, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for, thank you for having me. Hey, it's my pleasure. So, Adam, you obviously started boxing when you were age 16, if I'm not mistaken. You were a big Andrew Golota fan back then growing up, right?
1: Yes, yeah, correct. My first amateur fight was at... 16, I think.
2: Okay, okay. And of course, you turned the throne <laughs> by 2010. You were 4 and 0 with four knockouts. And then you spent almost three years outside of the ring. For those that don't know, what actually happened for that to occur, Adam?
1: I broke my uh, hand. I had a fracture in my uh second metacarpal. And uh doing here, right. so I needed another surgery. So it took a while to heal.
2: Man, it must have been a bit of a frustrating time because you hadn't really got going yet. Um, it must have been pretty annoying for that to happen so early on.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was definitely a step back, but uh, I believe everything happens for a reason. So, uh, it happened for a reason. and uh, I, I matured a lot during that time and uh, I think it also helped me develop as a human being.
2: Excellent, excellent. And your breakout win, in my opinion, has to be the Arthur Spilker win. I remember being quite shocked, if I'm honest. I mean, you battered him over four rounds back in July 2017. Would you agree that was probably the fight that catapulted you into worldwide recognition?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think uh, nobody was. <laughs> nobody thought I was going to do it the way I did it. Like, a lot of people talking about outbox me especially following his performance against Wilder which wasn't that bad until he got caught with that good right hand you know Uh, so uh I think did a good job, yeah.
2: I agree. I think he was probably winning the wilder fight to be honest until he got caught with that humongous right hand. Um, since then, you know, you fought good opponent after good opponent, you knocked out Kiladze, then you fought Charles Martin. The Charles Martin fight was a good fight. Um, I remember watching it live, it ended up going the distance. You started very well, but Charles Martin seemed to have a lot of success in the later rounds. How would you assess that performance from yourself? I
1: think I had like Two rounds, the seventh and eighth, where like I took the gas of the pedal a little bit. Okay. But I came back strong in a nice and tenth round. Tenth round, I almost had him out in the tenth round. So uh, he, he held on to the ropes very well. So, uh, uh, but yeah, like you said, I think I, I took uh, two rounds off and let him sneak back in into it a little bit.
2: Yeah, a great fight. Like I say, a great finishing round there in the 12th. And then, of course, came your most recent win—a win on the weekend, just gone over Gerald Washington. Once again, I actually felt that if Gerald was able to use his size, his jab, his distance, he could possibly cause you problems. But once again, you absolutely demolished your opponent. I mean, in that first round, you were hitting him way too often. And I just thought to myself, wow, he cannot keep taking these shots. And of course, the very next round, you're able to get him out of there.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think that was like a the speaker fight like boosted me to being like uh, a no name. Like that, I think just uh, made me a huge name. I think uh, I proved that I'm a top ranked heavyweight, and uh, I'm gonna wait to get a title shot. You know, and hopefully win it.
2: And like I say, you had a perfect first round. You know, you, you, you was able to hit Gerald way too easily. Um, he had no answer for your hooks. Your speed seemed to really stun him and surprise him. Um, it was a nightmare start for Gerald. Um, yeah, you, you really put your foot on the gas after he came out in the fir- in the second round. Because he came out and he threw like a nice eye-catching combination. But that seemed to kind of anger you, if anything. And you really went for it. And that was, of course, where you stopped him. Um yeah, I mean, did did that little combo kind of get you mad? <laughs>
1: uh, it got me happy. Uh, I mean, if anybody boxes, well, I was like, oh, he's on. Like, I mean, that's like a sprint. So, you know, when you sprint real quick, it takes you a while to to get back, like, uh, you, to, you know, to recover. So once he threw that that combo, I was like, oh, he's going to get gassed a little bit after that. So I knew that was my opening to, to throw my combination and uh, go after him more. And I was able to do that and, and and finish him off.
2: You certainly did. And just after the fight, you you took hold of the microphone and you let everyone know about this fantastic announcement. Um, you told everyone to shush, <laughs> and you're, uh, you're yeah. going to be a father. So fantastic stuff.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it's like a a, a, a movie. <laughs> so uh, way for the ending. You know, uh, hopefully this year I get a title shot. and. Uh, Become the first Polish heavyweight champion of the world.
2: And of course, this is further, further motivation for you. Um, when, When's the baby due? Do you you got a due date right now? August. August.
1: Oh, yeah, God. August. Yeah. Brilliant, man.
2: And do you know just yet what's next for you, Adam? I know that it's still very early. We're only a few days after the fight. But do you know when you're going to be fighting next at all just yet?
1: Uh, not yet. I'm still um, just uh, relaxing a little bit, enjoying myself, uh, doing some cardio. So not to get too big. And uh, just enjoying the life right now, you know, Uh, doing a lot of like uh, PR stuff, a lot of interviews and uh, just enjoying the ride.
2: And a man that was observing in the crowd, Deontay Wilder, um, you know, like I say, you were able to get Gerald Washington out of there in less than half the time Wilder needed. Out of Wilder and Anthony Joshua, the two heavyweight champions right now, I know that you're ranked in two um, major organizations. Which fight out of those two is more appealing to you in your style?
1: I think uh, my style is tough for any fighter, you know. Uh, the pressure is, 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 is hard to keep, keep me off, you guys, uh, them guys. Or, so uh, I love both fights, you know. I want to be the first Polish heavyweight champion in the world. That's my goal. And whoever uh, has the belt, that's why I want to fight. And if the... Or three belts, I should say. Yeah, <laughs>
2: of course, of course. And if the Wilder Fury rematch should happen, um, who do you see coming out victorious? Who did you have winning the first fight as well?
1: Uh, the first fight, I think Fury was a little bit ahead. Yeah. But the two knockdowns, I mean, in um, uh, I could have seen it a draw, but I definitely had Fury more ahead. And then uh, there were like a couple close, close rounds that could have went to Wilder, so I could see how it could have been a draw. But uh, definitely Fury boxed much better than Wilder, I thought.
2: And who do you reckon would win the rematch if it does happen? Like we hope it I mean, will. Uh
1: uh i don't know uh proved well, proof that he could uh crack him you know so if he lands one of those those uh crazy power shots it might end early you know but you never know if uh, fury shows up in great defense that like he had he could get another boxing lesson so i think it's an amazing fight a great fight and i hope it happens
2: and we're still unclear about who Anthony Joshua is going to fight next we we're, we're here in um you know April the 13th that's been the date for a long time it's still so unclear there's three main candidates i guess or four um you know Wilder Fury i doubt it's going to be those two it looks like it's going to be either Dillian White or perhaps Big Baby Miller who would you like to see get the shot if it could be any of those four oh uh, i
1: think i think everybody wants to see a Wilder versus, versus a Joshua to have like one unified champion but like you I said, doubt I, that, that will happen. So uh, next, line, I hope it's my uh, my good friend, uh, Big Baby Muller. You know, I hope he gets set shot.
2: I think that's a good fight stylistically. I like that better than the Dillian White fight. And I think that you know it could be very interesting in the later rounds. The pace that um, that that Jarrell can set. Um, I think he, he's very tough, obviously. And I think in those later rounds, when he's putting the pressure on Joshua, that could be really interesting. Yeah, for sure.
1: Uh... Hope, hope happens, you know, and they talk about maybe bringing it to MSG, which would, would be great
2: too. It certainly would. And finally, my last question to you, Adam, um, I like to ask this question to everybody that we speak to from overseas. Who would you say, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here, who would you say is your favourite UK fighter of all time? It can be a, a guy that's still fighting now, it can be a guy that's retired years ago, any era.
1: Uh... Let's see. Yeah, a lot of great fighters. Uh Joe Kozagi was great. Ricky Hatton was was a great fighter too. I think I had to go with Joe Kozagi. you know. I think he was he was amazing.
2: Yeah, very popular answer. And finally, like I say, um have you got any kind of message for your UK fans over here? Adam, like I say, a lot of people are really getting behind you now, recognizing the talent that you've got. What's your message to your fans from over here?
1: Uh, keep a lookout, you know. Uh, hopefully, uh, maybe you see me in the Wembley one day, you know. Uh, and there's also a big population in the UK, so uh, I would like, love to fight
2: there one, one day. And there is so many Polish fans over here that come out for you, I'm sure of that. Um, where can people follow you on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all the rest of it if they're not already following Adam?
1: Uh, so my Facebook is uh, Adam Kulnatsky. And then uh, the
2: Instagram and Twitter is uh,
1: akbabyface.
2: akbabyface, perfect. Right, listen, Adam, I'd I'd like to just thank you for coming on the podcast this week. Thank you for your time. Congrats once again on your win and the fact that you're going to soon become a father and we'll catch up sometime in the near future.
1: Thank you so much. Have a good day
2: okay and this wraps up episode 172 of the box hard podcast we finally fixed the audio issues from last week thank god for that it was really worrying me that we wouldn't sort the audio in time so thankfully that has been done i've been your host joey coastman i as summer has been his usual self a big thank you to our two guests on this week's show the former ibf super middleweight world champion caleb truax and the undefeated heavyweight contender mr adam kalnaski there has been some of the news has broken since we've been recording this show. Abner Mares has pulled out of his showdown against Javante Davis next weekend. That's real sad, but in steps. Hugo Ruiz, a late replacement, a man that's really a featherweight, so he's moving up in weight for this, and he also fought on the Pacquiao-Brona undercard just a matter of days ago, and he went 10 rounds on that card. So in my opinion, this is quite dangerous, to be honest, but that's just my opinion. Um, Eddie Hearn's matchroom boxing have signed... Teresa Cat saw Vasai, also known as a couple of other things. Especially on this show, we know that he loves an unseasoned rodent. Um, they've signed him to their stable. His next fight will take place on the Zone and on Sky Sports. That's going to be getting announced very shortly after a weird announcement that Ivan Baronchik would be pulling out of the World Boxing Super Series tournament just today Thursday the series themselves tweeted out and announced that Baronchik will actually be fighting Josh Taylor and it will happen on May the 18th at the Hydro in Glasgow so make of that what you will seems a bit strange to me the prediction league currently stands at myself in the lead on 85 points and I as and you the listeners are tied on 80 points best of luck with the predictions this week uh, the winner of the hashtag Completed it Mate competition is at tuba tj. So please send us your address either via Instagram or Twitter along with your t-shirt size. Please, guys, remember to leave us a review on iTunes if you have got any spare time. It really does mean a lot. The best review on iTunes that's left on there will also receive a Box Hard Podcast t-shirt. Uh, but that's about it from myself and I as. Enjoy your weekends, people. Stay safe, and we shall see you all again next week.